Hello and welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Craig Diehl, the Head of Policy and Research at Commonweal. What does the word parliament mean to you? Braying crowds of rich elites standing two swords apart? An expensive building in Edinburgh that sometimes doesn't feel all that different? How about the word democracy? Is this just an exercise for voters and those who can't vote shouldn't be heard? Scotland has, of course, recently reduced its voting age to 16, but does that mean that folk younger than 16 should not be allowed to have an opinion about the government who makes decisions for them? There are organisations sprouting up that help involve children in our democracy and that seek to engage with kids in Scotland on political issues to help give them a voice and to tell the adults in the room that they are not the only ones with good ideas about how to run this country. My guest this week to talk to us about children's rights and participation is Sofia Georgescu. She has experience working with children's rights organisations and is currently researching children's participation in biodiversity loss as part of her PhD. She was also involved in supporting children's participation on a team for the Scotland's Climate Assembly and for COP26. Welcome, Sophia. Great to have you on the show. Hi. Thanks so much. So who are you and how did you get involved in children's participation work? Yeah, thanks for having me, Craig. Um, My name is Sophia. I work in Scotland and I work nationally on different projects revolving around children's participation in many different forms of decision making. Uh, So that can range from things like national proposed policies or consultations on parliamentary bills, or it can be on a micro level. So maybe in a school or in a community when a change needs to be made. Um, And according to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, Article 12, children actually have a say. It's it's their rights, a human right, um, in decisions made on issues that matter to them. Uh, so that's what underpins the motivation for all of my work. And I would say I got involved in this um, from quite a young age. I grew up in Canada where uh, politics works a little bit differently and school certainly works a little bit differently. I would say there's a bit more of a participatory focus. So I kind of grew up doing it, especially in outdoor and environmental education spheres where um, children might be given the chance to plan how and what they learn outside. Um, And then all the way up until I started working in schools after studying geography. Uh, So I learned a lot in my degree about how and why um, cultural relationships form people's um, versions of doing things differently, whether that's through social movements. So I was highly involved in work on anti-fracking. And yeah, combining that with working in schools after university, I just realized that um, the way we do things really has to change. I think we have to do politics differently. not working in schools it's not working in how we learn and, and if you don't have the knowledge and the power as a child all the way up to an adult how can you possibly participate well in big national or international decision making bodies um so yeah combining this cultural um space and place-based understanding and knowledge with people's right to really participate in how um how they live and decisions that are made on issues that affect them what motivated me and specifically working with children that should come from my life experiences um both as a child growing up and in the kind of work I was doing in schools. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned the, the the UN human rights uh, of the child can you explain the concept of children's rights and how it relates to broader human rights? Yeah so um I think it's 42 there are many rights uh, outlined by the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child um and that is the most widely ratified convention in the world. 
um, broadly it operates to underpin children's lives to ensure that they grow up in a happy, healthy and safe world. Um, and there are these things called general comments that are added to it um, every so often, which give more context to the current way that children tend to be developing and growing up in the world. So we like to say that it's like a backpack. Um, it's for a child to know about so they can carry their rights around with them and for adults to know about as a universal way to understand how to support children's best development. Um, and that is across their whole lives. So it's quite a universal framing. So how do you go about engaging with children on various issues and how do you build this idea of children's participation? It's a great question. Um, I think it's something that can come in quite messy ways. I think politically you have to be really prepared for it to be quite led by children because I like to think that children are experts in childhood. So you really have to work from developing a space first and foremost where they can actually really understand and um be listened to on different topics that are affecting them. And then from there, you can kind of co-design a process that works better for them. And then uh, something we found in Scotland's Climate Assembly actually was once you start to do that, that actually also tends to engage adults better as well. Um, so this is, I think, the wonderful thing about incorporating children's participation is that you can have really intergenerational spaces that are more accessible to everyone. So I would say the the kind of key steps to, to making this happen on the ground are to really listen to children and that is not just verbally that's through creative ways that's through long-term space building with them um really listen to them and really ensure that the things that you're speaking about or discussing or expressing with children in the room are going somewhere and that's to adults who can enact changes and then you can bring in adults as well and they can, you can create this kind of feedback loop and mm. um, i think that's really key to making participation happening happen I was really proud to be, have been a, an expert witness at the, the Scottish Climate Assembly, although I wasn't involved in the children's participation section of that. I was really heartened to see those voices included in the final report. And you're right, it did. Seeing the same concepts echoed and repeated across the children's participation and the adults' participation side of things really reinforced a lot of these these concepts for, for me. Yeah, absolutely. So... How does children's participation and a children's rights framework um, work in with, with representative bodies such as national youth voting or student councils? Um, I think there's some really cool examples starting up all over the world. I would say that often it's already there in some capacity. So, for example, many schools have decision-making bodies like student councils, but working from an actual rights-based approach um, or a non-hierarchical approach would mean that you you take whatever decision-making body you might already have and think about ways it's maybe not working and maybe who's being excluded. And then you could take that and change it into a creative um, decision-making mechanism. So you might, in a school, I, I recently saw an example of something called a Penguin Parliament, where they dissolve their people council and um, they uh, bring all the children together in one world uh, room, sorry, and imagine that they were all penguins making decisions together in, in like a penguin colony. So everyone got to talk about issues that matter to them. And recently the children have put in a bid to their local council um, together with the teachers supporting to, to do some improvement on the school grounds and building. Um, so I think you can just kind of think creatively about what's already not working and then what's already there, like what's going to resonate well with people, what's going to bring them hope, what's going to bring them fun engagement um, and what being realistic about what long-term changes you could make. And I think the proliferation of climate assemblies around the world and citizens assemblies are a really good example of this. So 
there's an existing citizens assembly coming up, you know, you could make space in that for children to be involved from quite a young age, as long as you build it in from the beginning. Um, and in Ireland recently, there was a biodiversity loss assembly that was run with children and young people as well. Um, and that ran a little bit different, uh, differently to Scotland's climate assembly, where it was a parallel process um, and then came together at the very end. So it's not like uh, you'll have remembered that we, we actually brought the children in to meet with the adults. It was slightly different in that it was separate, but it was creative. It was fun. And the um, calls to action that came from that were just as meaningful. So I think, yeah, you can kind of incorporate it into whatever works well and resonates with people politically and culturally and socially already. But you just have to think about who's being excluded, and it's often children. Hmm. Is this why it's important to hear from the voices of children? Is, it, is, that, is there that risk in a democracy that the exclusion means we only end up catering for those who we quote-unquote allow to vote? Absolutely. And I think there's quite an arbitrary distinction. You know, I, I really welcome the fact that Scotland has voting for children and young people as young as 16. But it's a little bit arbitrary to say, OK, when you're 15, you don't have that freedom. We're going to say that school and education is uh, the purpose of it is to train you to have that freedom. But you don't have it just yet until adults decide you're ready at 16. Um, and so I think, yeah, you do run the risk of exclusion. You run the risk of disengagement by um sort of unfairly or inexplicably placing these rules on children and young people. And also, you know, we know that we learn and we gain knowledge through experience and um, not simply through rote learning, for example. So to really put participation and democracy in practice, I just think it has to start younger. It has to start with childhood because then it's actually something that's embedded into the culture. How does your work tie in with um, all of this, and especially with the upholding of human rights in Scotland? Um, so I focus very closely on environmental issues, and most recently there was a general comment added to the UNCRC, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, saying that children have environmental rights, and so they have the right to a, a safe environment to grow up in now and for the future, and I think that's quite an important move because it puts a time framing on the UNCRC, it's saying that it's not just now that children should be participating. We should actually be including them now so that we design processes of democracy that work for children at younger ages so that in the future, other children will also be happy and healthy and safe and included. And so I think that's where I see really practical change coming about. Um, and I think it's just so critically important um, because we are facing rapidly changing and, and really, really impactful difficulties and barriers and really complex environmental and democratic crises um, and if we're engaging children from a very young age it means that this process of participating with having a say and therefore developing solutions that also work for children um, is going to start at a much earlier and embedded stage it, you know for example i think a lot of environmental legislation has been wonderful but it can be quite siloed um, and then we find it doesn't work in practice or it's not bought into culturally and practice across the board where it needs to actually happen. Um, and then we expect children and young people at the age of 16 to suddenly have full political rights when they've not been a part of solutions and they've seen solutions not working for them or their local communities beforehand. Um, so for me, it's it's kind of bringing these all, thing, all of these things together um, in a way that brings children in so they can be a part of the conversation, they can inform more meaningful legislations, policies and practices, even if that's on a micro level, so that they 
really do are able to take agency really have knowledge and lived experiences um, and then not just sort of unfairly be thrown in when they're 16 or 18 and expected to participate fully as so-called citizens. And of course uh, voting isn't the only uh, participation in democracy. I mean, people can stand for election as candidates. Do you think being part of that process earlier on and uh, it would potentially lead to, to better participation at, the, at that level as well? I will say, because I work more from a rights-based approach, I don't engage so much with representative politics and, and like conventional voting systems. Um, my hope is that we build more of a culture of participation. So that means that lots of different people can be empowered. Um, and I think we have been such a move towards local politics. Um, and again, proliferation of things like citizens' assemblies and obviously lots of social movements like XR have really shone a light on, on you know, whether you agree or not. They have shone a light on how you can do things differently um, and the power in numbers. Uh, so I think if you embed that culture from a younger age and you really support children to feel like experts in childhood, I'm sure it will have a positive impact on representative democracy as well. Um, you're more likely to have candidates standing who are really from the communities they represent um, and who are actually able to engage with everyone who lives in that community, even children. I mentioned in the blog there have been um, organisations who have been encouraging children's participation and uh, even uh, um, towards the Scottish Government. What kind of engagement have we been seeing from Scotland's children uh, towards the government lately? Yeah, um, I think a really wonderful example is, I guess, last recently, but just before COP26, um, there was a funded event called The Moment, um, which was we think this might have been one of the largest uh, engagements between children and young people and their representative different decision makers. So that was councillors, MSPs and MPs. Um, sorry, councillors and MSPs, uh, so Scotland-based. And um, so there is a lot of interest in things like this. Um, recently, uh, consultation for an eco-solid law was launched and there was a real focus on children and young people informing that. Um I think we can run the risk of tokenism um, if, again, perhaps why I don't always focus on representative politics and I'm much more interested in social and cultural phenomena and things like social movements and space building for participation um, so that it's really across a whole child's development in their life rather than a sort of one-time thing because they've been invited in by an adult. And I think we also do see a, a welcome focus on children's voice, but that sort of one form of expression is not always accessible. Um, so I think we have growing interest in children's participation and children's voice, but it can be a little bit siloed um, across issues or across time and space and funding. Uh, so I'd welcome initiatives that bring that in at more community and embedded cultural level. And um, I will say as well that uh, rights-based practice is a frame I like to use because it's that backpack, it's that universal protective mechanism, but there are many alternatives, um, and I think culturally all across the world, people have involved children in their communities in many different ways. They just might not always call it that. Um, and the benefit of rights-based versus representative, although they're not always in opposition, but the benefit of rights-based is that a child has the agency and knowledge to then say if they are not able to participate, if they're being excluded. Has there been any sign that the Scottish Government has taken on a positive response to this kind of participation? Has it changed the way that policy has been made in Scotland? 
I think so. I think the Climate Assembly is a wonderful documented example of that. And certainly at COP26 and now and COP27 and COP28, and including this consult. So the general comment was actually written in consultation with over a thousand children across the world. Um, so that is, that's a huge change. I mean, I know certainly growing up, unless you maybe lived in a city or you had certain opportunities at school, I don't remember there being much chance, um, especially as a child and not a young person to directly feed into policy creation. So that's definitely a shift. And again, this international interest in climate and citizens assemblies more generally that might invite in children. Um, so I hope that Scottish government continues to move forward in that way. I think certainly it's something that's being considered when proposals are put forward. Um, but yeah, we have yet to see that sort of come into full action, mm. I would say. I'm showing my age somewhat, but um, I, I do have a vivid memory of being in high school around the time of the 1997 devolution referendum, and yes. our school had a big civic exercise around what that meant, and we had a mock a mock referendum within the high school, and we did have representatives from uh, the, the actual campaign come and speak to us, but that wasn't asking us what we thought of the, yeah. the the event we didn't feed into the final result in any way we were just learning about it it was very much a one-way process so for me it's interesting to see any potential of that becoming a two-way process and, and voices being heard yeah and I think that's a really critical point and actually again something that can inform politics more in general I mean we're seeing a crisis of um, general people's participation in democracy and also feelings of exclusion and I think we, we like to frame it as a feedback loop. So if, if an adult or a decision maker comes and asks something from a community, and that community could be children um, experiencing childhood, it needs to be two-way. Um, you can't just, you know, it's almost kind of an extractive model to go in and say, can you tell us about this thing? And then not come back and say why it's not happened or why it will happen and when and how you'll continue to be involved. So I think that's, again, where this participation model is actually really useful and helpful. Um, and I will say that Scotland is moving towards the legal incorporation of the UNCRC, which would bring in accountability pathways for if children are not included. I think when it comes to environmental politics, that could put Scotland um, in a really cool place on the international map um, in terms of creating meaningful solutions that are actually really sustainable and work long term and engage everyone. Because mm, as you say, up until now, there has been maybe that element of siloization or tokenization in, in these engagements, even when they have been two-way. Um, potential radical proposal. Could children's participation become a statutory component within our politics? Yes. So again, if there was legal incorporation of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, um, children would have access to justice. So they might have access to a representative, like direct access to a representative if their rights are not being met. And that can include their participation rights. So if they are not consulted on something in some way and a change is made, um, such as a new policy or a new piece of legislation, um, they could have a legal accountability pathway. And and we're seeing that increasing around the world as well. Like there's countless court cases now of children and young people taking states to court for either lack of action or unquantified action on climate change, um, which threatens their right to a safe and happy life. I've talked about a lot of what you've been doing recently. What are you going to get up to in the, the near future? And um, well, I think my PhD research is leading me in this way. Uh, I think there's increasing awareness of biodiversity loss and the way that, and I think of biodiversity not just as um, 
a kind of division between science and, and people living their life. There's not, I see science and nature is intertwined with um, our economics and our political life and our cultural and social life as humans as well. I think biodiversity loss is what's really coming up on the horizon because um, we really rely on the diversity of nature and the diversity of culture to have a rich and healthy environment around us. And so I think children's participation in these more what seem like nebulous concepts and um, been involved in consultations on artificial intelligence as well. So things that traditionally people might think are too serious or complex for children to be involved in, they are telling us they are worried about it and it's threatening their right to a safe and happy, healthy life. So I think that's what's coming up on my horizon, staying involved in spaces where adults might not even think to include children um, and trying to to keep beating the drum. Children should also always be involved. They have the right to be involved and they can and want to be involved. And involving them could make politics more accessible, creative and engaging and successful. I'll have to get, get you back on the show at some point to talk about <laughs> uh, the impact of AI because it's a topic that fascinates me as well. Um, yeah, how can absolutely. listeners get involved with children's participation, either to support existing initiatives or even to start their own? I think Scotland's a wonderful place for this, um, possibly because of devolution movement um, or just the focus on the local that I think comes to a lot of communities here. Uh, there's usually a lot of initiatives, so there are climate action hubs um, where you could either suggest children are involved or be involved in projects already. I think um, arts organisations are a great place to look because they tend to have really creative methods. Um, and I think we're seeing a proliferation as well of the bringing together of arts STEM and politics, um, so things like climate engagement and creative communication, so if there's a local arts charity, um, and then any public consultations on bills um, are a wonderful place to be because you can submit your opinion as an adult that children should be consulted to. Um, and then schools as well, like schools can be a wonderful hub for sharing resources. Um, so if you have any links to teachers or early childhood educators, um, they're great people to just suggest and remind them of children's rights and share any resources you see with them or get involved yourself creating those. Well, thank you, Sophia. That has been a fantastic chat. I'm really glad you were able to come on to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And I should say as well, I know it's just me here talking today, but all of my work is so collaborative um, and I would always want to credit children wherever I can. Obviously, there's always ethical considerations with that when you're coming onto a public platform, but Yes, it's never just me working and I don't have none of these ideas are original. These are all coming from children who I work with who are telling me that they want to be involved and that they can be involved. Yeah, thank you. I'm really looking forward to seeing some, some more of the results of your work. Thank you. And I would just like to finish off the podcast, as I always do, by reminding our listeners that Commonweal as an organisation is entirely funded by our donors and supporters. We don't get government money. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't even have adverts on our website. So if you would like to support our policy work, our campaigns and this podcast, then please click the donate link in the description of the show. Thanks once again to my guest. Thank you to all of my listeners. And I'll speak to you again next week.